Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats Cast number one hundred and thirty-nine. I'm Jeremy, and as always, I'm joined with my two co-hosts, Ed Wynn of TalesOfAdventure.com and Jim Caselli of CoolStuffInc.com. Speaking of Cool Stuff Inc., this cast, as always, is sponsored by them with free shipping on orders of a hundred dollars or more, and if in a sweet. 25% BIOS bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. Now, this week, of course, we're joined on a couple of different continents. Jim is currently in the continent of Florida, and Ed is currently at Magic Fest or Magic Championship in London. So we'll we'll be a little jet-lagged here, but we'll get this cast underway. How are you guys doing this week? Why is Florida a continent all of a sudden? And then, like, what continent are you on if you're not on the same one as Florida? Uh... If Florida was sawed off from the rest of the union, I would not cry. Yeah, I know Bugs Bunny. I've seen that cartoon too. <laughs> well, Ed, how you feeling? Are you uh, you doing okay in London there? Uh, I just woke up. It's a little bit after midnight. I woke up like 10 minutes ago after getting in at 2. After flying for like, traveling for 18 hours from Portland, which I was home for like 10 hours. So right now, if you're not watching the live feed on YouTube, Ed looks like one of those people where they like they do like an interview of them and they like robot like use a robot like filter on their voice and they have like just a black silhouette. You just see like the person and they talk like this. It's like he's giving like the interview of like some some like unsolved mysteries crime thing. Yeah, and we've been doing live streams for four years now. So you can see me wearing the triumphant Vegas Golden Knights hat after they convincingly routed the San Jose Sharks yesterday. Convincingly. So. On the topic of sports, if anyone did not watch the Blazers buzzer beater to... uh, No one cares about basketball. To to beat OKC, uh, go watch it. Yeah, poor Corbin. So. Go Blazers. Um, we have finance stuff to talk about. Ed just came from Yokohama, and we have Japanese planeswalkers now. I believe the rarity is one out of every two. Every other planeswalker that you would open has alternate art. Um, Jim, as the casual player, how do you feel about them sort of redoing magic art with really cool or new artists that were guests to uh, create this? I'm like really trying to like parse what that question was that you just gave me. What are your initial impressions on the alternate art that was previewed? Uh, I think they're all great. Uh, I think some of them are better than others, but I believe that there is going to be something for for everyone. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that they're not available in English. Uh, I feel like they maybe didn't think they would be as popular as they are, and that's unfortunate. Um, I hope that maybe in the future they consider um, using this art on like an English promo or something at some point in time, because I'd much rather have an English card uh, than a, a Japanese one um, for multiple reasons. But like one of the biggest is that selling Japanese cards if you don't want them anymore is basically impossible which is why I've pre-ordered the singles from this, but not any booster boxes, because, A, first of all, booster boxes are always, like, 
the dumbest thing you could buy if you only want specific cards. Like, I don't want all of the cards in Japanese. I don't even want half of the cards in Japanese. I want half of the half of the cards in Japanese. So, um, it didn't. It, it doesn't seem like financially worth it to to buy uh, sealed product. But I'm like kind of disappointed that they're not available in um, in English booster packs, even at like a lower frequency. I think it would be pretty cool if they were available in English. Um, personally, as a player that plays primarily like commander and like extremely low stakes magic. Um, English cards are definitely more pre are definitely preferable because a lot of times people have to read them and you can't read I, I can't read Japanese and like probably out of like 15 people I play with regularly like maybe only one of them can kind of read Japanese and if you forget like especially with all these planeswalkers they have static abilities that always do something if you don't remember exactly how it's worded uh, it could be problematic and kind of annoying to like have to go look it up so um, I don't know. I think that they're really cool and they're really novel, and I'm a collector also, so I'm going to get in, be getting all of them, but uh, I think it's something that if you're a more casual player and you just like really like the art for the Liliana, for example, um, there are ways to get them that don't involve busting booster boxes of stuff that's basically useless to you. Yeah, as many people know, Ed has the supernatural power of acquiring Japanese cards for his customers, basically from any part of the world. So Ed, I know publicly said, hey, I can get you um, these insanely hard to get Planeswalkers. I'll get you a play set of every Planeswalker. Here's the price. Uh, Ed, what were the reactions from players or our listeners when it came to the fact that you were able to get these without them having, having to uh, crack boxes themselves? Has it been a lot of no one responding or were your DMs flooded because so many people wanted them? Uh, a lot of people want them. A lot of people are unwilling to commit, mainly because there's no like price right now. Um, I've not been able to definitively get an answer from people on the availability of boxes in the U.S. because anyone who read that announcement, it says at the bottom that U.S. distributors will have access to Japanese product. I have, haven't spoken with multiple stores. I'm told that most U.S. distributors are sold out. Um, I can add yeah. something to this if you okay. want. Yeah, uh, I, I can summarize this for this right. for you. Uh, um, right. well, on the WPN page, basically a lot of distributors had the option to get Japanese boxes in, and they didn't because... Uh, um, a lot of local shops weren't getting foreign boxes anymore for Allegiance. So the distributors didn't bother placing that big of an order when in the initial part of War of the Spark. As soon as Wizards announced this, you had giant shops like Cool Stuff, Channel Fireball, Card Kingdom uh, call up the distributors and basically get it all. So a lot of local shops missed out on free money. And then they're going to miss out again with Mythic Edition. Well, opinion. I think it goes even. It's even worse than that, right? Like, because there are people that would have bought one box of War of the Spark that are not going to buy instead of buying an English box, they'll buy a Japanese box and cancel their English one. So, it's actually just even worse for smaller LGSs. It it really is. 
confuses me that if they if if Wizards of the Coast knew that they were doing this and they knew that there would be demand for Japanese product, which I assume that's the reason why they did it, why they wouldn't tell the distributors that they need to stock more than usual. Like I feel like it's hard it, it would be hard for them to say it like to to convince them that they need more. Like if you just like if you told the distributor there's a special thing that's happening in the Japanese booster boxes and you're gonna and, and we're gonna give you more of them as a result because stores are gonna want more, yeah, they might scoff like the distributor might scoff at that and be like, no, that's definitely not gonna happen. But you don't have to give them a ton of details, be like, hey, listen, you need to have this on hand because people are gonna want it. Like it seems so dumb to not have or even just like with every pre-release, like with the pre-release allocations, why didn't they just also send them like a Japanese booster box or so, or a two Japanese booster boxes or something like that? I can sort of dissuade your argument with Wizard saying, hey guys, you're going to want this set. Look what happened with M25 and Iconic. You know, Wizard said, hey guys, special set, buy as much as you can. Uh, and then they bought as much as they could, and then they didn't sell any. And then they either had to sell at a loss or barely break even on most of the product. But um, Ed, what else do you want to add about uh, Japanese hype for War of the Spark? Uh, <clears throat> uh, several things there, Jim. I think the biggest thing is that they probably won't keep it under wraps. Right, they can't. They don't really want to like insinuate that there's something special about Japanese booster boxes, um, because one that will just prompt like 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 when distributor starts telling people right like like they like should they tell their stores that oh you should buy Japanese War of the Spark boxes there's something special inside but we can't say what it is, right? Because like one you're either going to have like just baseless rumors going around you're probably gonna have people that are if they do know something they're going to be more prone to start leaking it or um you're just going to create kind of this situation i guess the closest analog would be what jeremy described with like m25 and iconic um for which a lot of distributors actually sold basically at break-even prices or a loss um <clears throat> for months afterwards i remember there was a sale um we were called up by one of our distributors. This was when I was still with Kerwin's. One of the distributors called us up and they said that, hey, if you buy a certain number of this product, whatever the product was that was being released at the time, we will give you the opportunity to buy boxes at $99. This was, I want to say like a few months after Iconic. So if this was what, the beginning of 2018, I think. Yeah, because Drain had hit $40 and Horizon Canopy hadn't spiked yet. Yeah. So like the set was entirely dead at the time. Yeah. Yep. And they're basically saying if we bought a certain allocation of the new product or whatever, they, we could just buy iconic boxes from them at $99, which I imagine isn't far from their costs. Our standard cost was probably like $128. So them giving us 75% off of our initial costs was a pretty big deal. And even doing so, it took them several sets of doing this before they were at the point where they could um, where they no longer have them in stock to sell to us at that price. Um, regarding Japanese War of the Spark, um, I again, I don't actually know what it looks like for people. Um, I A lot of people have asked me about sealed product, and I can't really give a committal answer, one, because I'm not sure how to get it myself. 
I'm actually vaguely thinking about flying to Japan next week to pick up product and fly back. I'm doing uh, that. But, uh, yep. um, yeah, if I do that, boxes won't be cheap. So, so the cheapest plug for Japanese boxes at the moment is $150 for one box shipped or $140 for two or more. So theoretically, you need to spend about six or seven thousand dollars on, and this is like big finance. This is this is pick of the week as the Alpha Black Lotus. That's one hundred and forty thousand dollar finance. But if you spend six or seven thousand dollars on booster boxes, you can conceivably break even on your trip, assuming you can carry all those boxes. So that's the current math on that. Yeah, I mean, this just seems so silly. Like. I know that there are people out there that think that buying booster boxes is the best way to get cars. And yeah, even if you want like all of the planeswalkers, like generally speaking, buying booster boxes is fine if you want like a lot of the cards in the set. But because they're only available in half of the booster boxes or half of the packs anyway, you're only getting 18 per box. And like getting a mythic of, of one of those is just basically impossible. Like for a reasonable amount of, of money, it seems it's just easier to just buy the singles it costs less money to ship and, and you don't have to worry about getting other things that you don't want so in personally in my opinion, I anyone from trying to buy them in my opinion them. it's people it's wizards taking advantage of the tax return with people going oh i may hit the foil liliana and they have this extra money in their pocket and they don't mind burning it just based off who i've talked to so, and yeah, Ed, go for it. No, I don't. I, I don't really have much else to say. I was going to kind of say that. Um, I guess we technically don't know that these come in foil yet. I don't think it was confirmed anywhere that the alternate arts will be in foil. It'd be really strange yeah. if they did it. No, no, they did. There's a. I, I retweeted a uh, a post from Wizards, like the Wizards official account. They said that they will be available in foil. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sure of that. Okay. Um, I guess that kind of kills that point. Um, the next point would be that um, the foil mythics, a lot of people have asked me about um, foils because I am selling the non-foil sets. The foils um, probably will be quite hard to come by because you have to imagine that they will be basically be uh, twice as rare as a normal one because like I said in the post, 50% of the packs will have alternate art and then you have to imagine that the, the foil rarity will be 50% of that because you have half the chance of getting a normal uh, art versus 50% chance of getting an alternate art. So, so the, the foil mythics, like the foil Gideon or the foil um, Liliana will be uh, will be quite expensive at release. So Sounds like uh, masterpieces to me. Every other box, what is this battle for Zendikar? I mean, this was kind of feeling like, well, except that like, with Battle for Zendikar, you could still open like Gideon and some lands that are like worth a few dollars. These boxes, like, you're gonna get a bunch of planeswalkers nobody can read and not nobody's gonna want. Yeah. And speaking of um, tax returns, we have Mythic Edition coming out next week. I think a week from today, exactly. Right? It's May I, something. I think it's I think it's next Monday or next Wednesday at noon. I want to say. Yeah. That was yep. So is this the freest money ever, or is everyone trying to flip the same thing? Are we even with a race to the bottom? 
that we see with every Mythic Edition. How do you guys feel about this set? Uh, I don't know. I feel like this is free money. Like I just put up an article on CoolStuffInc.com uh, today, actually, about historically how good the cards have been in the Mythic Editions and like what their prices were, like the normal price of a normal copy of it, and then what the the Mythic Edition price was, and the price of the cards inside the Word of the Spark Mythic Edition is like almost $250 for the cheapest available copies. So I can't imagine that this is not just like, if you're able to order it, you can for sure sell it for more than what you paid for. Unlike the last one where like Kaya was like slow to become popular and Karn was really the only like expensive card out of that set that people knew about. Uh, that one, like, you can get for, like, slightly more than what would have cost, like, I think it's, like, $330 or something like that on DCG Player for the full set, whereas I think this is much closer, but probably even more than the Guilds of Ravnica one. Like, Foil Jace, the Mind Sculptor of, like, not, basically one that's not the uh, Form of the Vault 21 or, like, 200 or more dollars, and this is going to be the only Foil full art one, so... I don't know. It, it it looks to me like this is just like you could buy two of them, sell one, and still have money left over. Anything else you want to add, Ed, before we move on? Uh, I think Jim more or less hit on the nose there. I think um, there's definitely a lot of value jam-packed in this one. I think that Wizards felt very pushed, as it were, to try and make uh, this poll... War of the Spark set as as glamorous as possible, mainly because Planeswalkers have long since been there. Um, Planeswalkers have kind of been the face of magic for quite some time, and then this is also the accumulation of a long, uh, long story that's kind of... This is like the ultimate conclusion, I guess. Um, I think it makes sense that... The end walk, game, if you will. Um, yes, that. Uh, I'll look at I your... Topical. I think it does make sense that Wizards wants to make it big. I wouldn't surprise me if they said that there was going to be another wave of Mythic Edition down the line. I imagine there will be a lot of issues. Um, like with the eBay store, um, I believe they said, said that there were 12,000 copies of um, available, which is really not a lot if you consider that the very first run of like From the Vault, I think it had 5,000 copies for the dragons uh, and that was already very very hard to find and that was back when magic was much 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 smaller than it was now um, I think you, when you compound the fact that a lot of people are going to be trying to hoard these or not make them available in the market I think you're you're basically just bottlenecking the supply in such a way that these basically have no choice but to go up um, because realistically, the ones that are actually going to hit the market are the ones are the people that are selling that are buying these. They they don't care about any of the cars at all. They're basically just going to try and resell the sealed set as is to people that missed out on the set, um, that or that people that can't order. So people like overseas who have to deal with uh, VAT plus customs, etc. That it's like ninety five bucks added on. Yeah, that in such a way that they're basically adding a very, very large amount to the price to buy direct from uh, the Hasbro eBay store that they most of them probably are better off trying to wait for these to show up on the secondary market via Facebook groups or something 
and trying to get people to um, to basically cheat customs or whatever in such a way that they would get it for less than they would through the Hasbro eBay store. Um, I think like mo most of these reasons, again, you're just creating this like very artificial, very tight bottleneck that will make this quite expensive, um, both in the short term. Uh, long term, I think it's a bit harder. Like if you look at Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition boxes, a lot of the prices have actually stabilized. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of hard to find sealed boxes, which is a bit interesting, but there's, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I've not seen a lot of virtue in keeping the boxes sealed for collectors. It seems that the best way to maximize your money is actually to just open up and sell the placeholders individually. Um, because it's far, far easier to recuperate your money on the box much quicker than it is to try and sell the sealed box at um, by itself. So I, I do want to say, though, I, you know, tinfoil hack conspiracy theory here kind of going on here. I don't think this is the last Mythic Edition. Um, and the reason why is because I had assumed that all three of these sets, like all three of these reference sets were going to get a Mythic Edition after the first one. That seemed pretty obvious. After the second one, I had like kind of narrowed down what cards I thought were going to, like which Planeswalkers specifically were going to be in the last one. And it's odd to me that they still, they have like, Derek, who's not even part of the story at the moment, a second Tezzeret, and another Nicobolas, but like, I'm a little confused why all of the Gatewatch has not been uh, printed yet. And my assumption is that they're, because like, because of their personal relationship as well as like probably the story moving forward, it seems likely that Nyssa and Chandra were intentionally left out of the three that have been released because we're going to be in one in the future. Um, with the fact that Dovin Bond is also missing from all of these and is shown in the art of War of the Spark as fighting Chandra, I feel like there's a possibility that the story goes in such a way that those three Planeswalkers specifically will be included in a future Mythic Edition, and that's why they're not included in these thus far. Um, so if you are a collector, um, I think that it's probable that there's not there's another one going to be after this. I don't know how many more after this they can make specifically, but I feel like at least one more is available because they're just there are too many popular Planeswalkers that haven't gotten one yet. I believe there's a card in the set that references uh, Chandra basically killing Dovin Bond, I think. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of those out of the story. Uh, I don't know if he's so, dead. I think he's blinded. I believe Chandra's um, triumph, he's like, he loses his ability to see. Mark Rosewater said something that he's not, not dead. Yeah, I think that the only planeswalkers that die him. in the War of the Spark story are Gideon. Sorry, spoiler alert. Sorry. You don't want to know this. Yikes. Yikes. Sorry. Well, one of them I assume that everyone knows, but like spoilers, don't listen if you really like Dumbledore dies. Uh I believe that the only planeswalkers that are confirmed to be dead that are named planeswalkers. Like a bunch of people die in the story, but they don't have like names. They're not like characters that exist for more than 15 seconds. Uh, I believe the only dead planeswalkers are Gideon, Domri, and Dak. Uh, because they all lose their spark, or the, the first the the Gideon dies for other reasons, but the other two lose their spark and they die. So I do not believe any other planeswalker is killed. Uh, not even Nicobolas. He's a uh, sparkless, but he's not dead. So I don't know. Give it like another ten years, he'll be back to being the supervillain again. 
Yeah, he'll eventually get his spark back. And speaking of people getting their spark, why don't we give two people this week a free spark with a free $25 gift code? Jim, who won this week? That was so bad. That was so bad. You should be ashamed of what you just said. I have no shame. That, that, was, great. that was That was heinous. So our winner this week is Nathan Klein, or, or one of our, sorry, one of our two winners because we uh, were on hiatus last week. We couldn't get our shit together long enough to podcast. But uh, one of our winners this week is Nathan Klein. He says, hey, Gorsocrats, should I hold off on buy listing cards until Modern Horizons is spoiled? I worry that I miss out on potential spikes in value based on reprints and new cards in the set. The, the set will enable in Modern. Modern Horizons effect on the market feels unprecedented. What are your own plans? Uh, personally, I think it's pretty safe to sell anything that's exclusively played as standard, but I agree with you that it's, poss it's possible and probable that cards that are not played in standard that people have been asking for are likely to become more expensive th th before they become less expensive. So I know that this is not a card that... I'm not saying that these are necessarily cards in the set, but like if Force of Will were to get reprinted, for example, it would be much more expensive than it is now. Uh, I think this set is a net negative on the price of Modern because the cards that are reprinted suddenly don't have, like most of them don't have a huge supply because they're from older sets because they're all cards that are not legal in Modern currently. And then the rest of them are new cards, which has only ever been printed in this set. So there's just no supply of any of these things. So stuff like Fetchlands, which have been reprinted multiple times now in very large sets, even like the Cons of Tarkir ones were printed not that long ago and are still quite expensive. If anything in this set becomes ubiquitous, not quite to that extent, but like, you know, anything that gets popular in this in the, from this set will be very expensive. So while there are reprints in this set, I, I, I'd expect the reprints to get more expensive rather than less expensive. And I don't think that you lose a whole lot by just waiting. I think it's like two months, right, before this comes out? Something like that? Uh, we're looking at about like six, seven weeks. A little less than two months because it comes yeah. out uh, mid-June. Uh, mid yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, I, I, no, I, I, would not, I would not be opposed to just hanging on to the cards if you don't need to sell them. Uh, I think I said multiple times on the cast that Modern is probably going to undergo a pretty big change soon. Um, one, we're here in London. We're looking at uh, um, we're looking at Pro Tour this weekend. Uh, the biggest change, obviously, will be how they um, how the London Mulligan affects Modern. Uh, one, I think the the format is relatively stable right now in the sense that the meta is more or less established you have decks that kind of have a relatively uh you have a bunch of decks that are all relatively competitive um i i was on a flight over here with my one of my friends who's qualified and he said he had a really he has i think he has like four decks on him uh all all are reasonable options to play they're all there's no single deck that is definitively more powerful you can make an argument that is it phoenix is much better then, or not much better, but a bit ahead of the rest of the pack. But <clears throat> you have a lot of viable decks in contention. Um, I'm curious to see if the London Mulligan has pushed people to play a certain number of hyper-aggressive decks or hyper-linear decks, more so than normal, that may have been 
um, kept down or kept out, as it were, mainly because it's a little bit too hard to assemble a combo or the combo is a little too fragile. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's some sort of innovation this weekend surrounding that. Um, regardless, I think the modern index will actually increase in price, um, mainly because a lot of people will certainly be holding out for modern horizons. Um, I think the biggest indicator after that would be to see when the first modern events, uh, excuse me, following that are, uh, whether it be MCQs. I, um, I believe we have the first season of MCQs announced. Most of them are through the end of June. I don't know what July looks like, but if July... There's an SCG Cleveland as well. I believe okay. it's Team Modern. So okay. I just want to interrupt for a second. Uh, are you guys both aware that the next... Uh, Mythic Championship is going to be modern construct like after London is modern constructed with modern horizons limited. Yep. Because they want to sell the set. Oh, is that Barcelona? Yeah, yeah whatever, Barcelona. whatever the, the following uh Mythic okay. Championship is. Man, it's really hard not to say Pro Tour. Um the the Mythic Championship will be modern constructed again, and it will be uh modern horizons uh draft. draft. Yeah. Okay. And we have an SCG event. Yeah, so all these are going to kind of be the first uh, look into the new modern, as it were. Um, I think a lot of cards do stand to get expensive. Um, I think this is Wizards' biggest opportunity, like I said in the past. Um, this is their biggest opportunity to like, really shake up modern. Um, most cards are that printed standard simply have too, much, uh, too little impact. Um, if you look at the past standard sets, like Phoenix was the most recent uh, change to modern. Before that, you're I think you're basically looking at like humans, with the introduction of like Kaisel Freebooter as the change to modern. Other than that, there's relatively little they can do to impact it. They can okay, they'll occasionally ban or unban cards, but modern is in a relatively static place. And I think you're in the right boat to try and hold out on some cards that will. Um, that will uh, spike as a result of Modern Horizons and the new Modern Meta. Um, that being said, I'm fairly okay cashing in on a lot of stuff. Um, I think I wouldn't fault anyone if they wanted to cash in after this weekend. If we see like a surge in, in a different deck or something, because people will just natu naturally always follow whatever decks do well, and they'll just always um, they'll just always follow those trends. So I, I wouldn't fall anyone for holding, but I think um, I wouldn't fall anyone for flipping. I wanted to flip out of this weekend either. I know fetches are going to go up, but trading those into duels and power, which is what most people are doing right now, is probably going to be better for you down the road from a stability perspective. Just like um, the last time fetches got this high. Like we talk about this every week. And every week, fetches continue to go up, and we're still continuing to see applied pressure on duels, not power yet, but definitely duels. But if you have, like, a place that every Zendikar fetch land or reprinted fetch land that you got after the reprint, like, turning that into duels or high-end stuff is probably your best bet. Because that market is still relatively cool right now when you look at Bylas. Um, compared to last year, at least. And long-term, that is by far the best play because one of these cards is on the reserve list and your fetches are not. And we know they're going to get reprinted at some point. So if you can trade 
uh, like locally, there's a shop that has had a Mox jet for $1,100 since like power cooled off last year because none of the locals have alone $1,100 to trade. But they also do like 80% in trade on fetch lands. So if you're an aspiring player and you could get 80% of TCG mid on your fetches, it's like not the worst idea. So that's what I think. Um, there's a second part of this question I want to answer, but it deals with our second credit winner. So I'll save it for that. Uh, one quick thing to note is, um, I guess what our own plans is a bit independent from what you want to do. Um, for the listeners out there, for example, if your goal, if you are looking to make a hop into legacy, this isn't necessarily a bad time to try and capitalize on <clears throat> how quickly these cards are rising. If your goal is just to get a few duels that you need to finish, like, I don't know, like if you need like two Tundras or something, right? That's a relatively small effort to trade in an extra set of fetches or something that you may or may not be needing to um, to get um, <clears throat> to get your duels or something, or if you're trying to expand into Legacy. Again, this is a bad opportunity. Um, if you're just looking to make the game more affordable, we don't necessarily have to think about everything in terms of um, getting ahead right because we know that i've definitely talked to a fair amount of people that have said that all, all i want is to make this game a little bit cheaper for me and just trying to capitalize on these market trends is more than enough um, and you know what there's one thing we haven't talked about if you're trying to make money and you're making money right now after fees sell out you don't need to wait for the next 10 percent rise because if you miss that and you notice prices start to go down or everybody starts listing them on online websites you've already missed the boat this happened last year. People that could not turn over inventory in time got stuck either taking a loss or breaking even. If you bought fetches two years ago with the plan to flip them and you paid $30 on a Verdant Catacombs and now it's like selling for $75, just cash out. You don't have to feel bad about it. You made money. So if your goal is to get money to afford a trip or help pay for a college or something, you made money. Just get out. Like It's a good time. Everyone has money right now. And when no one has money, you really can see it in the market. I don't know if there's anything you guys want to add to that. There is a long stretch for people to capitalize on this. Um, if you look at the schedule, I think there's something like seven USGPs in a row. I think it starts with Madison next week. And I think it goes something like uh, Providence, Kansas City, Washington, D.C., uh, Denver. Uh, yeah, Denver, Detroit. Um, like basically from now until like July, which is usually when the prices more or less peak out. Um, there's just basically there's no shortage of events to go to, and I think a lot of these events are going to be a big part, of kind of just feeling the fire. Because I think once one place, once people start hearing that, oh, this place was by listing this card at like 105% TCG play or something, then it's going to start creating this positive feedback where vendors feel obligated to pay more on cards um, because they didn't buy enough or whatever, or they're losing to people who are trying to overpay on cards. And then that's just going to cause more people to sell them cards. And you're just going to create this huge feedback loop. Um, basically, maybe, maybe not until the end of July, because that's a bit long, because summer does kind of kick in. But I think May and June, I think you should have plenty of opportunities to cash out and capitalize on this if that's what you're looking to do. Hey, Ed. Can we... I have a topic before we get to the second uh, question. But 
if I talk about this, the podcast is going to go about 20 minutes over because I know you've a lot to say about it. Is that okay with you? Uh, I'm fine with that. I know Jim is the one. It's late for you guys. I've been asleep. No, that's fine. I'm good. Okay. So, because this is an important topic and we have to talk about it and we got to give people their, 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 their uh, credit. And since Reddit apparently likes us, let's talk about something Reddit isn't talking about. So, Ed was saying there's a buy list war. And you could see this at Grand Prix Vegas last year, right? Uh, 95, for example, is paying an obscene amount of money on Underground Sea. And then you see MTG Deals pay an even higher, I think it was like $700 for an Underground Sea. So all the shops in the room, except for two or three smaller vendors, were paying obscene amounts of money, which is what you referred to, right? And one of the other things is when shops are paying an obscene amount of money and they allow credit and they have online shops, you can trade in on site and apply that credit for most of these shops um, to their website. So there's a thing that's been going on that we should talk about. So last year, and we've talked about this a bit, ABU Games had an obscene, the highest by far, not even close, old school buy list for Alpha Beta Unlimited, any reserve list card. The amount of trade that they were giving was insane. It was 50% more than market price, for example. We're now seeing all the cards that ABU got last year, and not every single card, but it's important for our viewers to know this. All these cards that people traded in, and they got like $5,000 for a Mox Sapphire. I don't know the exact number, but it was like an obscene amount of money for an unlimited Mox Sapphire. ABU is now selling a lot of these cards on eBay, which takes a lot of the cards out of their system. And they're not restocking competitive staples as much, which is what a lot of people traded these cards into. And when you look at their booster boxes for standard, they're at MSRP or above because all of their credit that they have on that site, um, it's not profitable for them to have like a $100 booster box because people have so much credit on that website. And we continue to see them. I'm almost done, but I'm trying to paint the picture. Uh, We continue to see them offer insane amounts of trade and value for their old school cards specifically, but then not have a lot of competitive staples, whether they're selling them or whatever. So a lot of people are aggregating massive amounts of credits with ABU specifically. This is all my opinion, by the way. Um, So they're aggregating thousands and thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars of ABU credit. They can't sell it on Facebook, allegedly, for 65% credit, which compared to Star City is insane because you can use Star City credit a little easier. At what point does this fall apart? At what point do so many people have so much credit and ABU is selling a lot of the chase cards on eBay rather than putting them on their website that it doesn't become a functioning shop anymore? That's my question. And it's a lot to unpack, but it's just a trend I've noticed with ABU specifically. Uh, so one one thing to dissect there, um, you cannot use ABU credit for sealed product. I think that's oh. like that. The, yes, there's a very specific disclaimer on there, a disclaimer on the website that um, that mentions that. So anyone trying to do that, trying to cash in your cards, you cannot buy sealed boxes. I almost made this mistake, so and I did. Yeah, because, because did they have that recently? No, I think it's been around for a while. I remember asking right. about it a couple months back. And someone well, listeners, I'm dumb as usual, but 
their sealed product is way higher than the rest of the market. Uh, regardless, regarding Jeremy's question, um, they have basically created um, a very hyperinflated currency, as it were, right? You have a very non-liquid um, currency in the in its ABU credit. It's very, like, like a lot of people said, it's very, very hard to use. Um, a lot of people who have done so, they basically rationalized it by even though ABU is charging like $110 for Scotland Tarn back when they had Scotland Tarn in stock when it was like $70 on TCG. Um, they could rationalize paying $110 on the Scotland Tarn via credit because the credit bump that they were getting on their old school cards was so high that $110, if you sell it like $70 or something, you're still technically making more money than if you had just sold your old school cards outright. Um, but now that it's becoming more and more stagnant, uh, people are probably having a hard time spending their ABU credit. I imagine that you will, um, you have several issues. Um, one, ABU needs to be able to cash out. Uh, one, because they they have to be selling the cards in a way that their people aren't paying for credit on their cards because they can't say, in Jeremy's example, hey, we bought your Mox Sapphire $5,000 in credit. We can't list it at $4,000 or effectively anything less than $5,000 because they're just losing money because that person can literally take the $5,000. They can take the $5,000 in credit they got and basically buy for less and just have credit left over. Um, I, to my understanding, I've only visited ABU like two times. That store is kind of in the too big to fail boat. Uh, there are a few stores that have this. They've ABU has basically been around since the beginning. They actually deal in a lot more than just uh, magic as well. Um, but I think their assets are high enough that they would never really be in any financial trouble in the way that a lot of modern card shops rely on um, <clears throat> rely on relatively liquid assets that they have to constantly turn over. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be able to keep the lights on. Um, that's what a lot of stores or uh, modern stores uh, have to deal with. Again, like a lot of these older stores um, that I would say they're basically too big to fail. Um, their assets, we're, we're talking about stores have assets like in multi-millions. Um, they basically just have, they have enough going for them. They have a big enough name um, that they're, that they realistically won't close up shop um, even with a dry month or something. Um, but that being said, I think it is interesting. Someone had mentioned it to me that there were, there was ABU power and things that, um, that is available on eBay as well. Um, but beyond that, I don't really have much further insight into the whole ABU structure, mainly because one, I've never dealt with them with myself. Um, one, because I just, I can't handle having credit to my places. It's just, it's just a bit too much to follow up on. I just constantly be thinking, okay, like I need to keep watching their website for these cards I want to be buying or try to calculate at what point is, you know, overpriced card A worth it, um, paying X percent over market price if I can still turn it over. Um, so personally, I've never dealt with ABU. I know a lot of people have. Um, I think I would just be very wary of uh, bank banking too much. Um, it's one of those things where ABU certainly knows the amount of credit that's outstanding, and it probably does make them a little bit nervous if you know there's 
as the amount of credit grows. And it, I imagine, especially with kind of the old school spike from last year, that the amount of credit that grew of outstanding credit that um, is out there is again, far higher than the amount of credit that people are spending. So. And you okay. have one of their head buyers, like tweeting pictures of what they're buying and like what people are trading in. And that's a lot of credit when you look at some of his tweets, when it's like a two row of alpha cards, like that's a whole lot of credit that's getting added to the system. So it's just interesting. Um, yeah, I just thought it was an important topic, honestly. So I, I think going into summer, especially if we see like kind of another old school um, or just just cards rising in index. Um, Middle school. Largely old school. Like if ABU kind of pulls the same power maneuver they did last year, it's worth people noting, especially what their options are, right? Like I definitely don't want to see people just cashing in their old school deck or something and then getting stuck with a bunch of credit that they can't sell and then they can't convert into anything meaningful. Yeah. All right. Second question. Since we just talked about it old school, I guess Jim wants me to read this because the listeners aren't getting enough of my beautiful Missouri voice. So Colin Myrovitz, which Ed and I have actually met this guy in person. We didn't pick the winner either. Uh, he has, what do you project the future of alpha cards to look like? Have they hit a plateau or are they still poised to have a healthy gain during the annual summer uptick? Do you think that alpha cards will ever regress a notable amount? And what is the best long-term investment currently in Magic? Jim, as someone who owns thousands of alpha cards, what is your opinion on the future of alpha? Man, like I thought about buying a beta card one time. And I looked at the price and I was like, this is not even foil. Why would I spend that much money? Um, I don't really have a, a, a good enough grasp on like what the alpha market looks like. Theoretically, because there should never exist more of those cards than exist today, they're very similar to reservoirs cards. Even stuff like Giant Spider and Forest will eventually become more, more money than they are today. Is that the best long-term investment in Magic? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. Uh, honestly, I, like we've said many times before, I'd say the best long-term investment is not in magic and just like stocks just seem like a smarter idea, but I don't really have a ton to add to this question. It's very much out of my wheelhouse. Uh, I'll try and keep it short without going too deep since I feel like we've kind of talked about iterations of this, uh, different ways. Um, there's a lot of alpha collectors out there. If you really go deep into the market, especially if you're in like the graded group, um, every time, every month, there's just a huge amount of chatter regarding the PWCC auctions, especially. You have a lot of people um, that have real money that actually look at alpha cards as legitimate investments. Uh, they're, they buy them up, they have no intention of selling them. I've seen someone with a five row box of alpha basics. Um, these these he's are people. He's What's a good up? guy. Um, these are people that actually have real money. And honestly, when I talk to all these people, um, they they look at alpha as something that they enjoy in the sense that it has transcended any sort of utility um, to them. A basic um, a basic force is function identical to a black lotus in the sense that they appreciate the aesthetics of the card they like 
Um, they like alpha cards for what they are, their uniqueness. They have no intention of playing with these cards ever. They're simply just a collectible asset to them. Um, and when I asked them, what is your long-term goal? What does you know this 5,000 count box of alpha basics or what is you know your 9.5 alpha lows that you own? What does that mean to you long-term in terms of investment or money? Alone, just basically shrug and say that I just want nice alpha cards. They don't necessarily care about the fact that obviously they're cognizant that you know your alpha 9.5 lows now sells for. I, I imagine the next one that's going to sell if it sells in July or something is probably going to be upwards of a quarter million dollars or something. That doesn't matter to them because a lot of people look at these again as something they enjoy. I imagine you have if you ask people who own vintage baseball cards who collect who collect and build vintage cars, they don't necessarily look at these as um, as necessary investments. It's just, this is a way for them to spend their money and it's something that they enjoy. Um, I think regarding your question itself, if they hit a plateau, um, there realistically isn't a plateau. If you look at the trend, it will always trend upwards. Um, even if you, even if, even though it looks like um, there was a brief period where alpha cards were kind of in a slump. Um, the overall price index for alpha, I keep saying price index, um, but I think it's important to look at just kind of, it's the best way to look at the big picture. Uh, there are sites that basically keep um, uh, all of modern in, it will tell you the price of all the modern cards, for example, and all the, you can break it down by set, by format, et cetera. Um, Alpha cards have done basically nothing but grow upwards. Uh, again, there have been some dry spells, but they basically have done nothing but grow upwards. Um, I don't think they'll ever regress in a noticeable amount because there's a relatively high floor where, um, right, like I, if we took an egregious hypothetical situation, right? Like if I told you, if I approached, you know, some, most of our listeners, or if I approached like Jim, for example, what, like if I told you that, um, I would offer you a special price on a 9.5 lows, like let's say it's like $100,000 or something. I imagine someone like Jim, he would probably find his way in order to finance it. I would, I, what's up? Bitcoin. I wouldn't say that you should go and like refinance your house on it, but I think $100,000 is a safe enough bet that you would probably find a reasonable way to um, to do whatever it took for you to get $100,000 to buy this um, alpha lows because you know that it's just worth so much more. Um, and because again, that's a relatively ridiculous example, but there's a fairly hard floor on how cheap cars can be because if they get cheaper, you're just going to have these whales that are just going to go out and buy them again, not because they care about the, the value of the car itself. It's just, what am I going to have a chance to buy this card at this price again? Because the next time I see this card at this price, it's going to be that price plus 20% or something. Um, I think you're wanting to jump in Jim. No, I, I was just kind of going to point out the absurdity of how I would do whatever it takes to get $100,000 to buy this Lotus. And then the only thing that I thought could come to mind was the first thing you said I would not do. And I was like, well, I guess I just wouldn't buy it then. It's, it's probably a little ridiculous, right? But I imagine there would be people who would cross their mind, like, maybe I should take a loan against my house to do this. Right? Especially if this card is going to appreciate more than my house, which is also not a great example because most real estate appreciates faster than magic. Um, regardless, regarding the second part of your um, question, I'm more or less with Jim on this one. 
Um, if you want to look at long-term investments in Magic, um, like graded cards are obviously like a lot. What a lot of people will look at. Um, someone posed in in the graded group. Someone posed an interesting question: If we're ever going to approach the point where raw raw cards are going to be worth more or pushing the price of graded cards because what happens when someone wants to upgrade their their set of alpha or they're set into an alpha set of uh, power and the only choices for reasonable condition ones are all graded um right like what happens if i want to just i'll have a, a set of alpha power that i can play with in my cube or something um there's videos of people breaking them open already especially yeah. during the old school run last year. Yep. Yeah, there's definitely a fair amount of that. Um, again, if you're looking legitimately for an investment in terms of something that will appreciate over time and increase your net worth, I would just, I like Jim said, I would look at other things outside Magic. Right? Like one of the easiest ones is, uh, I believe Uber is looking at having their IPO go live soonish. I don't think they've set a date. Um, right? But like, like I would buy into Uber. Like I imagine, I would not. Nope. Oh, I would certainly hundred percent buy into Uber. Um, Just like you would buy into Bitcoin. Can we do it? Ooh. I'm sorry. sorry. That was just too easy. You made it too easy for me. Of course, of course. I actually thought about making a comment about it, but I know Jeremy would just like jump. I know it's at fifty-four hundred. I've been monitoring it. I'm waiting for you to rebet. So. I know that I'm not going to. I'm not going to another student. Let's go. Chop, chop. I, I'm not going to make another bet on this. And I know because I'm not going to make another bet on this that, like, it's it, Jeremy's just going to be right again, which is what, which is what further aggravates me. But um, that's, a, that's a story for another day. Anyways, um, those are more or less my thoughts on the alpha. Um, I would say what it comes down to is do what you enjoy. I think if you actually enjoy collecting alpha parts, uh, alpha cards, a lot of it is the hunt, especially because they're so elusive. Um, that's great. Uh, don't necessarily just think of it in terms of um, an investment vehicle, because again, a lot of the people that do collect alpha cards, they do it because they enjoy, because they want to collect a nice set of alpha, because they enjoy looking at the cards or whatever. And um, and again, these people are far richer than you or I will ever be. Maybe um, not Richard than Jeremy, but uh, allegedly. Jeremy, Jim, do you want to add anything before I get into this? Uh, no, not really. But I think the best, I think the best long-term investment that you can make in Magic is cards that you play with. I think that the amount of enjoyment that you can get far out exceeds any amount of money that you could sell them for. I think you should work on everything else before you work on Magic. So if you don't have a house, do that. If you don't have a 401k, do that. Like, if so you're, you're saying it's okay for me to go on, you know, magic. Yeah. Um, it just feels like a lot of people, specifically magic players, for whatever reason, they, so we, we talked about this a bit without naming the specific person, but just, just make it easy. Magic players are degenerate gamblers. Every single one of them. Allegedly, Ed is allegedly turning over a new leaf. Um, but where Even I was going, if you don't gamble in a casino, you're still gambling somewhere. Yeah. Um, where I was going with this, it feels like a lot of magic people, finance or not finance related, 
have magic become too much of their life. So even if you have all that in order, you should get another hobby and invest in that and not invest in to make money, but invest to have fun. Because when you're like 50 years old or something and you can't walk anymore and you're old, you get your AARP card, like all that time you spent dealing with magic, you can't get back no matter how much your cards are worth, man. So I don't know, like get your finances in order and then we can talk about investing in magic. But I do think the best long-term investment in magic is either alpha or art because they've both appreciated pretty well. And it's like a solid, they both reflect the overall magic market. And with arena, with millions of arena players pouring into this game, I can't see anywhere but up for the general index of magic. Anyways, it feels like 2013 again, where anything you throw a dart at, you're going to make money, especially with how much data we have nowadays, where we can see every buy list in the world with just a click. Like there's a number with all this information that you can pay money on and you can't lose unless like every shop runs out of money. So or you buy Japanese sealed product. Yes. Those people keep the lights on, Jim. Don't make fun of them. Honestly, no one who's bought a Japanese box from me listens to this podcast. So that's a good thing, I think. It's all the casuals. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it's all the casuals. Boxes are like 125 out here. So charging 150 is not a stretch. I have the worst like experience because I I was one of those people who was like, oh man, I could buy the sweet foreign boxes. It's like worth so much more money and and all the cards in there are so cool. I have a a box of concepts here, commons and uncommons that are in Korean, and I literally should just light them on fire because this basically. I went to Korea last week. I should have what? You should have mailed them to me before I went to Korea last week. It probably wouldn't be worth the postage. Nope. It would not have fetched a good price, Jim. Because I'm a degenerate gambler, I did open that box and it had a foil wood of foothills in it, so I didn't lose money. But everybody else that opened them lost money. <laughs> well, Jim, I'm impressed about your prowess of opening Cons of Tarkir packs, but we should probably move into Pick of the Week. Uh, sure. Pick of the week is uh, Korean non-foil monastery Swiss beers because you're talking about prowess. Actually, no. Before we move into pick of the week, uh, I need to tell people about their credit winning and how they can redeem it because we That's didn't do that. Idea. They can get alpha so, cards. Cool stuff. Yeah. Themselves. Sometimes. Uh, so Nathan and Colin, please send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail dot com. And I will get you your $25 gift certificate to CoolStuffInc.com during the next cast that we have. Uh, so I apologize if we don't do it weekly. We usually try to, but occasionally that doesn't happen. And uh, you'll get it the following week. Uh, and then if you'd like to win next week, you can leave a question on the CoolStuffInc.com page that will go up Thursday the 25th, I believe. Or it should be going up that day. Uh, and then if you your question gets selected, you can win $25 of CoolStuffInc.com store credit. Uh, one last thought on the investment thing before I give my pick, pick, pick of the week here. Um, again, if you're really looking to see how well Magic does and you actually want to think that Magic is a legitimate investment for you, uh, read the Hasbro quarterly investor report. Uh, quarter one just came out end of last week. It was a few days ago. It might have even been more recent than that. Uh, read the reports. 
see what people who actually invested in magic i mean i guess they're not direct, directly investing in magic right they're they're uh investing in hasbro which is a parent company of magic the gathering uh parent company of watsi technically who makes magic um read the read their investment reports see like what their core one um projections look like what they had predicted. very good very good it, it is very it is very good um it, magic is definitely doing well um without giving it away but i think i mentioned in previous podcasts um if you actually are looking at a way to make money off magic you need to be more savvy than just knowing that i can buy cards at 66 percent, and then after fees on t-sheet i get 75 percent of the card's value um you need to be uh, a lot of the most successful vendors are business savvy um looking at you know market trends looking understanding how economics works uh, reading things like the investor report um like these are actually ways that um uh that you that you would be successful if uh in terms of making money because on its surface um while ultimately we're looking at just a hobby where people can just find soul cards on the whim if you're looking to get ahead or if you're actually wanting to turn this into a business um you you need to be a business owner first you need to have a, a relatively basic understanding of how economics and business works um and looking at things like uh again look over the hasbro report it's a relatively quick read um you're understanding basically the inner workings of uh of magic what goes on behind the scenes what the people at the company think um it's 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 a it's pretty good in terms of one the prognosis on magic itself and two what you what we can expect from magic going forward in terms of um looking at magic as a business venture yep and jim what can we look forward to as your pick of the week this week so uh oh, wow. my pick this week no more I... goes first this is easy. We got him. What? Normally, Ed goes first. I was trying to trick you into going first. Oh, no. I already thought about it. So uh, I've been watching some streams of people that are playing in the uh, Magic Arena open beta thing that's going on right now. And the most busted deck that I've seen someone play so far is playing four copies of Bolas' Citadel. Now, I know that this card is a promo and will be given out to a lot of people, but this feels to me like it's going to be something that's like ubiquitous, like Restoration Angel was, which was also a promo. It was also like $10 to $12, I believe, during it, its peak in uh, Avison Restored. So right now you can get these for just shy of $4 each. Uh, I think that if you are the kind of player that likes to play combo decks... Um, there are so many wacky, weird things that this card can do. Uh, the card, the the deck in particular that I saw was playing um, a bunch of explore creatures and uh, wild growth walker, so that all the cards off of the top of their library gained them life, so they could play their whole deck and then kill them with two activations of Bolas Citadel. And that's kind of dumb. Uh, it can kill very quickly if it's right into the black green shell that a lot of people play right now. It's a pretty easy deck if you already have like the if you have the Soul Pie deck with like uh Merfolk Ranch Walker, Wild Growth Walker, and Jade Light Ranger, it's kind of that package and the the one two that explores whose name escapes me. Something Squire, I think. Anyway, 
if you play standard or if you're going to play standard in the near future, Bolts of Citadel seems pretty gross. Uh, if you play modern, it also seems pretty good. Uh, Emma Handy was playing a deck that played four of these and like Lotus Bloom and, and Reshape and stuff to like power it out and play her whole deck. And I don't know, there just seems like there's too many ways to make this card busted. Uh, if you are looking to specifically buy cards to resell them later for more money, I don't think that this is gonna the kind of card that's gonna have more than like a four dollar buy list, even if it's an eight dollar card. Uh, I don't think that the, like there's still enough like skill necessary to play these kinds of decks that it won't be particularly expensive. Edward, Bitcoin oh. Buffett, what you got for us? Uh, man, I, I'm just never going to hear this at the end of this for the rest of my life. Um, uh, so this kind of ties back in to what we were talking about earlier regarding modern and, uh, just generally prices going up across the board. I think as odd as it sounds, and I've been kind of trending on this is boxes. I like boxes of the first, second and third modern masters. I think the times when we see those boxes see a bump in price rather than just a steady gain in price is when there's a bunch of cards that are introduced into modern format or the modern format is dramatically changed in such a way where you're basically looking at a new modern, as it were. Um, and for example, if I'm just going to pull up a set list for, uh, let's see what I have in front of me here. Uh, let's like let's look at Modern Master 17. Um, we already have fetches that, are, that everyone knows are good. Uh, we have a lot of staples like Path of Exile, Inquisition of Kozlek. Um, there's Blood Moon in the set uh, at Rare, Damnation. Uh, who else is in here? Goblin Guide, Death Shadow, um, all at the Rare slot. And then at Mythics, we have, um, we have the obvious ones, uh, Tarmogoy, Snapcaster Mage, Liliana, Cavern, etc. There's a, there's a lot of cards that are kind of close behind it. You have like Crystal Brand, uh, Limbala, Temporal Mastery. Um, without knowing what modern will look like and what cards will be good, I think one can safely assume that the cards that are good will probably mostly still be fine, especially like I don't think Snapcaster Major Liliana is going anywhere. But is it unreasonable that Linvala becomes good again? Is it unreasonable that a new Crystal Brand develops? Is it unreasonable that, um, um, I don't know, like, whatever. Like, Stony Silence are rare. I imagine, is it unreasonable to see, like, a new artifact de deck develops where Stony Silence becomes um, a main deckable card? It would, Stony Silence was almost main deckable with Carcline Ironworks. Um, so without being, without having the knowledge to pick out any one card, with boxes, if we see several of these cards continue to go up, we're only looking at fetches continuing to go up. It's getting harder and harder to find M17 boxes. And with those cards getting more expensive, this is going to be a point when these when M17 boxes will simply go up. It happened with Conspiracy 2. Um, once there was kind of a a surge in the big staples like Solvala, Expropriate, etc. The cheap Conspiracy boxes just dried up on market. And now if you compare the price of Conspiracy box. Uh, Conspiracy 2 boxes, you're looking at $130, $150 for the cheapest boxes that are available. And for anyone who remembers, you could find Conspiracy 2 boxes for $80. On, it was, they were basically on every seasonal sale on the big websites. Uh, people couldn't get rid of them. People were 
basically buying them with eBay coupons to get them for $70 or whatever. Um, it's not unreasonable to think that, for example, Masters Boxes would see a 10, 15, 20% increase if all these cards just jump in price overnight because of Modern Horizons. Um, so, granted, it's not re it's not necessarily reasonable to be buying a ton of these boxes, one, because supply isn't that high, but I think anyone who's holding them or thinking about that their store might have a box left on a shelf that they're thinking about buying with store credit, I don't think it's an unreasonable buy to pick them up and hold them for two months until Modern Horizons comes out and turn it over right away. I've got some quick price stuff. Oh, and by the way, Jim, Cool Stuff Inc. has graded and ungraded alpha cards on their website. I just checked. Um, yeah. Thank you for telling me about all these cards that I'm not going to buy. Yet. When you win the lottery, uh, we'll talk. I will still have other things to buy that are not these cards. I'm pretty sure if, I'm pretty sure if Jim wins the lottery, he'll just never talk to you again, Jeremy. Oh, no, I'm sad. I don't know if that's true. I might, like... I would only talk to him specifically to humble brags, and that's it. Yep. And I, I, felt I, I know I would do if I could win the lottery. So <laughs> we'll leave it at that. And it doesn't we'll matter how start playing. if you still can't get someone to date you. So. Wow. <laughs> wow, that was that was low. That, that was low. uncalled for. That was cold. I do have feelings, you know, believe it or not. I know most of our listeners probably don't think I have feelings, but occasionally I do have feelings. Uh, you, have, you have a lot of feelings. They just come in panda emojis. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> this is what after hours is good for. Anyway, as I was saying, um, Yeheni Undying Partisan is up to like three dollars, which I didn't realize. But two cards I've been keeping an eye on that are also sort of related to this: Skull Clamp. Uh, there's some copies that are still $4 and there's some copies that are $7 now. I expect that to correct sooner rather than later. And Isochron Scepter continues its march up past 6 or $7. So that's another one to keep an eye on. Because a lot of people thought after Eternal Masters, you know, this would stay $3 for a while. Uh, it's definitely gone back up and it's something to keep an eye out for. So... I don't have anything that's a free double up this week, um, but just stuff to keep an eye on for trends. So that's it. Where can people find you guys since we gave them a super long podcast this week? Uh, my name is Ed. You can find me at on Twitter at Edwin13. I will be behind the Tales of Adventure booth in most of the USGPs going forward. We have a decent stretch of those. Uh, quick shout out. Uh, actually, uh, you can also find me on this week's uh, episode of uh, Code, of Code of the Cardboard Samurai. It is a Japanese focused one. I'll be on there with uh, Ryan and Dan. Ryan is the writer for, uh, was it uh, Hobby Japan? J or, Wait, that Ryan? Uh, Japan Hobbyist. Japan Hobbyist. Yeah, that dude's awesome. Yes. Uh, so I'll be recording that episode later with them this week. Uh, it basically is kind of a a brief guide into magic in Japan, what to do if you go there for a GP, um, what magic actually looks like in Japan. Uh, both Brian are there full-time, so um, I'll be recording that episode with them later this week. And I wanted to give a quick shout-out to uh, Grant and Dan. I met them in Honolulu when I was there. Uh, they took me out to dinner one of the days. Uh, pretty cool dudes. If you ever 
are traveling through Hawaii, make sure to hit them up and chat with them. And then uh, again, shout out to Ryan. I met him in person in Japan. Uh, he does uh, a podcast on his own. He also, again, writes for Japan Hobbyists. He has a bunch of articles telling you how to get around in Japan, what shops to visit, et cetera. So you I are selling yourself, you're selling him short. He has a detailed photographic, every shop in certain hot spots of Japan, which ones to visit, which ones not to visit, which ones have good prices, which ones have the best buy list. And it has a complete uh, photo journal of every outside of every shop and a lot of the major parts of Japan. So he put years and years of work into this. Yeah, so. I think I think he said that he has been a little slow on updating some of them. So some of the information may be out of date, i.e. stores closing or moving or whatever. But again, uh, it's definitely worth checking his blog out. He writes a lot of good stuff. Um, yep. and, and he was and he was a pretty he was a pretty cool dude to me in person. So And he's got a good cube. He's a good guy. Uh, Jim, where can people find you? My name is Jim Hassal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me, uh, my articles on coolstuffing.com, uh, one that went up today. Uh, you can find me at the Cool Stuff Inc. store in Waterford this weekend at the pre release. Uh, and I might be going to Chicago sometime over the summer. So maybe you can play Pokemon with me there. Come say hi. Unless it's at a Blackhawks game. So. Um, stupid. It's the summer. The Hawks are not playing anymore. Well, they sure as heck aren't, aren't uh, playing during the playoffs, Jimbo. So there's that. They're golfing. Um, anything else you want to plug, Jim? No, I was done. Okay. I'm Jeremy. You can find me being dragged into a dumpster by Ed at London for the mean things I said to him. And I apologize. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. Apparently, I'm just vacuuming up a lot of cardboard lately, so that's all I do. Um, what else? Oh, we have a Legacy 10K Cash event. It's the first Legacy tournament of that size in Missouri in like three years. So I think Ed's working that one or Douglas of Brainstorm Brewery. I don't exactly remember, but one of them will be there if you want to sell cards to us and say hi. So that's it. You can find it. What, Ed? What's up? Ed? Nope. I thought he was going to say something. No, no, sorry. Sorry. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud. We record every week live on YouTube on MTG cast. Um, Apparently, according to these guys, we need to do another after hours. So I think Ed needs to vent a little at me on the after hours, which I righteously deserve. Um, so hopefully we'll record one of those. Um, apparently, we're Reddit's number two podcast now. So thanks a lot, guys, for the support. We appreciate it. Um, thanks, as always, mean? for listening. What? What does that mean? It, these podcast threads come out and every time we inch a little higher. So it just means people like our content, Jim. Oh, okay. Anyway. Thanks, thanks for liking our content, people listening now, and also people not listening now. <laughs> anyway.
Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate your support. Have a great week. And as always, guess what? Bye-bye. Have a good one. Easy.